Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today we'll be hearing from Father Stephen DeLalo, who gave this first of two lectures in a conference in St. Mary's, Kansas in 1985. This first talk is on prayer, the importance of it, and how we can use it to better understand God and ourselves. The next lecture in this series will come next in our podcast on the Holy Eucharist. Now, from 1985, here's Father DeLalo. As you know, each one of you has been created to love, honor, and serve God in this life, and thereby save your soul. And you all remember that from your catechism. But how can you know, know God, if you do not speak to God? How can you know people in the parish unless you speak with the people to get to know them? See, the same principle applies to God. How can you come to know God unless you speak to God, unless you hear God speak back to you? And the speaking of the soul to God is called prayer. Simple as that. And so prayer according to its simple definition, is the elevation of the soul and of the heart to God. To adore God, to thank God, to ask God for his help. That is, that's all that prayer is. It's the elevating of your soul, the lifting up of your soul and your heart to God. It doesn't even have to be in words. It can be in your affections, in your desire to love God. You simply think of God and offer yourself to him. That is a prayer. There are many types of prayer. I think the most common is vocal prayer and mental prayer. I'm sure you understand what vocal prayer is. A vocal prayer consists of reciting prayers out of a missal, out of a prayer book. This is a vocal prayer. Vocal prayer doesn't necessarily have to be recited out loud. It means it is recited with your mouth. For example, after Holy Communion, when you make a thanksgiving, oftentimes you will take your missal, and you will see the prayers for thanksgiving after Mass, and you will recite the prayers, but not out loud. You will move your lips, perhaps, and just read the prayers, but you don't make noises. If you do, please stop. <laughs> you see? Right. No, because you distract other people. You see. No. But it is still called a vocal prayer because you are, in a certain sense, reciting the prayer. The same thing um, is required of the priest when he recites the breviary. He has to recite the breviary. He can't just read it. He has to pray it. And so you will see the priest moving his lips. Normally he doesn't make a lot of whispery sounds because that will distract other people. But he may, if he's alone someplace, he may recite it that way. So this is vocal prayer. It's a prayer that is recited, either aloud or quietly. And then we have mental prayer, mental prayer, which is otherwise called meditation, meditation, or even contemplation. Mental prayer is the silent elevation of your soul, your heart to God, just in your mind, see, in your, in your understanding, in, in your will. It does not consist of reciting prayers in a book. It consists on considering certain truths of your faith, certain episodes in the life of Christ, 
certain examples in the life of Christ of virtue. This is what meditation is. And then there is another division of prayer. Prayer can also be either public or private. Public or private. And this is in reference to prayer of the church. It's either the public prayer of the church or a private prayer of the individual. Now, for a prayer to be public in the true sense of the word, it first of all has to be officially instituted by the church. By the church. For example, the Mass, the breviary, the divine office, Compline, Vespers, and so on. Also, it must be prayed in the name of the church. In the name of the church. This is the official prayer of the church. We are praying it in the name of the church. And thirdly, the third condition for true public prayer is that there must be an official representative of the church presiding over the prayer. And this official representative must be a cleric in major orders. In other words, he must at least be a subdeacon, a subdeacon, for it to have the value of the official prayer of the church. And so, when you go to Compline, to Prime or Vespers, you will have the priest there. The priest is the official, official representative of the church. And so, each one of you, when you go to Vespers or Compline, even if you don't sing because you don't know Latin or you don't have a book, as long as you unite yourselves to the prayer, you still receive the same benefits as the priest would, as the others in chapel would. It becomes part of your, it also becomes part of your prayer, even if you don't understand, as long as you unite your understanding and your affections to the prayer. You know, you lift your mind to God. But that doesn't mean if you want to recite the breviary privately, that you can't. It's actually very, very praiseworthy to recite the breviary. There are many third order members, tertiaries, who recite the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There are other lay people who recite prime with the priest. Of course, that, then the priest is there. But there may, ha there may be a time when a priest will not be there at the office because of other, of other duties or exceptions. And so the brother will lead, or the sisters will be there. It is still, materially speaking, the prayer of the church. But because the official representative isn't there, you see, it's not officially, or strictly speaking, considered the public prayer of the church. Private prayer is any other, any other type of prayer. It's a prayer which is not recited in the name of the church. It's not an official prayer of the church. For example, all the prayers you find in your missal, I mean in your uh, prayer book, that uh, were composed by saints. Those aren't uh, official prayers of the church, although they are very good prayers. Also, when you pray, you pray for different reasons. And this, this gives us another division of prayer, according to the purpose of your prayer. If you pray to God to adore God, it's called a prayer of adoration. Or if you pray to God to make up for your sins, it's called a prayer of expiation or atonement. If you pray to God to ask for help, to ask for grace, it is called a prayer of petition. 
So this is the basic definition and division of prayer. Don't make it so complicated, though, when you go to pray. Don't worry about all the divisions. Just pray well, you see. Is it necessary to pray? Some people think it is just sufficient to go to Mass on Sunday. Other people think it's sufficient besides Mass on Sunday to say a few prayers once in a while. But what is necessary? What are the words of sacred scripture? What does our Lord say concerning prayer? Our Lord says in St. Matthew chapter 28, he says to his apostles, to three apostles in particular, because it's during the agony in the garden. He says to them, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So our Lord says to watch and to pray, to be vigilant. That simply means to avoid the, the near occasions of sin. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to succumb to the temptation. Avoid that, you know, foresee, be vigilant. And then pray. He also says in St. Luke chapter 18, it is necessary to pray always and never cease. St. Saints Peter and St. Paul, in their epistles, say the same thing. You must pray always, without ceasing. Always lift your mind up to God during the course of the day. Now this doesn't mean you have to have your prayer book in your back pocket and continually say prayers. Now this is not what it means to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing means to acquire the, ha the habit of always having your mind and your actions directed towards God, at least in, in, in an implicit way. For example, when you say the morning offering, you offer all of your prayers, works, joy, sufferings, whatever else, of the day to God. And after you've made that morning offering, everything you do during that day, which is good, is offered to God. And in a certain sense, is called a prayer, because you're lifting your mind to God in an implicit way. It is very good, though, to renew that intention during the course of the day. When you find yourself uh, faced with a little sacrifice, a little temptation, or a big temptation, or a big cross, renew your morning offering then. You say, I'm doing this for you, O God. Make it an explicit offering. Then the prayer becomes even more pleasing in the eyes of God. So our Lord says that we must pray. But what are the reasons why we have to pray? What are the reasons? Well, first of all, we were created for God. And as I said, we cannot know God unless we pray to God, unless we speak to God. And we cannot love God unless we know God. So prayer is absolutely necessary in order to know God and to love God. And that is what you are required to do as creatures. You have an obligation to adore God, to love God. And if you don't pray, you are falling down in your obligation and you commit a sin. And so therefore, people who do not pray, sin. And if they do not pray at all, if they are very negligent, then they actually commit a mortal sin because they are in a, in a state of serious negligence. And they risk losing their soul because without grace, 
You do not have this without prayer. You do not receive the grace to fight temptation. And so that is another reason why we must pray, to ask God for the grace we need to be strong in time of temptation, to ask God for the grace we need to become closer to him, to detach ourselves from the things of the world. We have to live in the world, but we, not, but we must not be of the world. And so we have to pray for the grace to be detached from the things of the world. And then we must pray in order to obtain a precious gift, the gift of final perseverance. I think you know what that means. Final perseverance is a special gift of God, says the Council of Trent, by which a person perseveres until the moment of death in the grace of God. So in other words, it's the gift of being able to die in the state of grace. You see, St. Augustine says, strictly speaking, we cannot merit that grace. Strictly speaking, but in a broad sense, we can. In a broad sense, because we can petition the mercy of God, and God will never abandon his friend. That's what the Council of Trent says. The Council of Trent says, God will never abandon a soul unless the soul abandons God first. So if you have been faithful to God in your prayer life and you feel abandoned, know that you have not been abandoned. God is just testing your love. But how can we be sure that God will hear our prayer? Prayer, as I said, is speaking to God, lifting the lifting of the heart and the soul to God. How can we be sure that God will speak to us in return? Well, the main answer is that we must pray well, but not, we must not pray poorly. And so there are conditions for prayer, certain conditions in order that God will hear your prayer. And the first condition, I think goes without saying, is that you must pay attention when you pray. Don't kneel down to pray and think about something else, mumbling the words, because that is not prayer. You have to have attention when you pray. But the other conditions are as follows. First of all, you must pray for something which is good for your soul, something which is either good or necessary for your soul, for your salvation. Of course, it can also be for something material, something you need for your family. For example, money, a raise. You can pray for that. But oftentimes, we don't know if what we are praying for would be good for our soul. For example, the person who prays, let's say he has a right now a 15-inch black and white TV, but he prays for a 24-inch color TV. You see, it's easier to see he won't strain his eyes. Okay. okay. He may think that it's, uh, that it's something good for him, you see. But really, God will probably say no. And it, he won't get a TV. Because God knows that it will not be good for his spiritual life. It will be actually an obstacle. But then, of course, I, I'm sure you know of the, uh, the other side of the coin. When a person receives the grace to get rid of a television, to have more time for God. What happens? He gets rid of the television, and the next day there are three or four people offering him their television. And it happens. Oh, it happens. So 
don't uh, lose that first grace that God gave you to give up the television. So that is the first condition. You must pray for something which is going to be good and beneficial to your soul. And because you don't always know, always end your prayer, at least implicitly, by saying, if it be the will of God, not my will but thine be done. Because God, you know, can say no. And if he says no, it's for a very good reason. Or he says, wait, till later. The second condition for prayer is that we must be sincere when we pray. We must mean what we say. Oh my God, I love you very much. You must mean what you say. You must not just say words that you've seen written in, in holy books. You must mean it. And if you pray for the grace to fight a temptation, you must mean what you say. You must have the intention to cooperate with the grace and make the effort the next time you have the temptation. You cannot expect God to do everything. You see, God will give the grace to you so that working with the grace, you will overcome. You see, God, is never, God never takes away free will, but he elevates it supernaturally and gives it the strength that is sufficient to fight the sin or to fight the temptation. And so when you pray for grace, when you pray for the grace to become holier in your spiritual life, to fight temptations, you must have the intention to make the effort. Thirdly, third condition, when we pray, we must pray with humility. Chris, you know, humility is truth. An example of false humility is this. A young boy knows how to play the piano very well, so he plays for friends. His father uh, has invited friends over, and then he says, Billy, would you please play the piano for my friends? I want them to hear how you play. He says, okay, Dad. So he plays, plays quite well. When he finishes, they say, that was very good, Billy. And Billy says, oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't good at all. You know? Well, no, that's not true. If it's good, you know, admit that it's true. But inside, thank God for the talent that you have. You see. And inside, thank God for the, if it's something spiritual. Let's say you have, happen to have the virtue of patience. And someone says, oh, he's very, very patient. And you hear him say this and you just you know, feel so good. Okay, okay. That's not humility. Humility is realizing, yes, that perhaps I do have the virtue of patience. But furthermore, you must say, I thank God for having given me the grace to be patient. That's humility. Don't deny the gift that God has given you, but attribute it to God in the first place. And so when you pray with humility, this means that you must pray realizing that you do not deserve to be heard because you're a sinner. But knowing that God has promised to hear you if you pray with humility. And the perfect example of this is the prayer of the publican. And I'm sure you know the story of the, of the Pharisee and the publican who went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee couldn't tell God how good he was. He couldn't, should I say, he couldn't stop telling God how good he was. But the publican stayed in the back of the church and kept beating his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so his prayer was heard by God because he prayed with humility. He, he realized he was a sinner, but he still asked God for help. So that is how you must pray. You must not pray saying, well, I'm better than, than so-and-so because I'm, I'm in the church more often. You know, I'm here every day and so I'm better. See, already your prayer is not going to be heard by God. See, once you consider yourself better than someone else, 
But once you consider yourself as a holy person, then you already lose much grace, and perhaps your prayer won't be heard at all by God. Because as you read in the Bible, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you pray with pride, God will not give you grace. He will resist you. Which means, although you may continue to be faithful to your devotions, you will never grow in holiness inside. Of course, that is the, the principle of our spiritual life, is to grow in holiness. Not to be a perfect observer of devotions, like the Pharisees. Oh yes, they practiced perfectly their devotions. But they were very far from God. And the fact it was only the Pharisees that Christ condemned. Woe to you, hypocrites, that's what he said. The fourth condition for prayer, in order to be heard by God, is that you must pray with confidence and faith. Remember the words of our Lord, he says, whenever you pray for something, believing that you shall receive, you shall receive it. But if you pray, thinking that, oh, God's not going to hear, hear me, but I'll pray anyway, well, then certainly God's not going to hear you, because you have no faith. You see, God will answer your prayers in proportion to your faith. If you don't believe, if you don't have confidence in God, God will not hear your prayer because you do not trust in God. You do not trust in the power of God. So you must have confidence when you pray. But this condition is closely connected to the fifth condition. And this is you must pray with perseverance. Because it happens that when we pray, God does not hear our prayer right away. He hears when he, when he sees that it's best, when he, when he sees that the time is right. And so unless you pray with confidence and perseverance, you will stop and you will give up. And that happens so often, perhaps in the case of each one of us. We pray for something, God doesn't hear our prayer right away, so we say, well, God's not going to hear my prayer, I'm going to stop. See, there's no perseverance. And so, as you can see also, not only is that perseverance connected with confidence, it's connected with humility. Knowing that God will answer his prayer, your prayer when he sees fit, not when you want it answered when he sees that it's time to answer your prayer. See, when you pray, you're asking God to hear you. You're not telling God to do something. And too many people, when they pray to God, instead of praying, first of all, to adore God and to thank God, they simply pray to ask God for something. They always forget to, to adore God. But remember, when you pray, that's the first thing you must do. Adore God. Thank God for the gifts you've received. And then ask God for the help you need. Then you do things in right order, you see. God becomes very angry if we simply kneel before him and tell him what we want. He knows what we want before we ask. So we have to adore God first, submit ourselves to his will, and then humbly beg what we need. And so these are the conditions of prayer. If you want God to hear your prayer, Try to fulfill these conditions. You don't have to do it explicitly every time. In fact, you shouldn't have to. You should be in the habit of, of praying with humility, with confidence, perseverance, sincerity. You can make a habit of doing this. And God will always hear your prayer when he sees that it's time.
Oftentimes, when we start out in the spiritual life, we try to go too fast. Okay, those who are parents know that a child must learn how to crawl first, then to take its first steps, and then to walk. And then later on, the child can learn to run once in a while. But they, but they know that they, may, they must never take a child, an infant, and try to make the child walk at a very early age. First of all, that will damage the legs of the child. The muscles aren't ready. Then the child will fall right over. You see. And so I think the same principle applies to us in the spiritual life. We must walk, we must walk, uh, crawl before we can walk, and we must walk before we run. But too often, motivated by perhaps exaggerated zeal, or by pride, wanting to become a saint very, very quickly, not with the practice of virtue, we try to do too much at once. We try to pray all day long. And so we get up at 3 in the morning to say a prayer and go back to bed. We get up at 6 o'clock to say a rosary, and then we have a whole day filled with prayers. Okay, everybody knows there's nothing wrong with praying. But you must pray according to your state of life. A mother must not get up in the morning and kneel down and say prayers for 45 minutes and expect her husband to dress the children, make breakfast, you see. <laughs> they might be tempted to do that sometimes, but nevertheless, their obligation, first of all, is to you know, take care of the children, make breakfast, dress the children. And this, too, can become a prayer. They should offer that up to God. And then that is a prayer, you see, because they're doing it out of love of God. And they will become a saint this way. See, mothers will become saints this way. And the perfect example of become a, becoming a saint in this little way is the life of Saint Teresa of the Child Jesus. You know, she didn't do anything spectacular. She didn't move mountains by miracles. But she performed her daily duties out of love of God. And she made explicit intentions or acts of love of God when she did her work over and over again. You see? That's the secret of sanctity, doing it for the love of God, not for self-interest, not so that your boss can see that you're a good worker and give you a raise. I mean, it's good to be a good worker too, but it should be first of all done for God to fulfill your obligations in your state of life. Then all the other other uh, intentions can follow, provided that they're not sinful. And so there must be a certain rule governing our prayer life. We must not do too much all at once, nor m must we be negligent and do too little. We have to have a happy, happy medium. And the simplest way for you to have a happy medium in your prayer life is, if you want, you may make a, a a rough sketch of a daily spiritual life, and then go to your spiritual director and have him approve it. Don't just make it on, on your own and then follow it. Have your spiritual director approve it. You know, come and see him, um, not during confession, but just make a, an appointment to see him and say, Father, this is what I like to follow in my spiritual life every day. Is this too much or not enough, or what do you think? And then if he sees that you're doing too much, he will tell you. He said, look, um, you know, better is not do this right here, don't do this here, have a little recreation from this time to this time. That way you're balanced, you see. But what happens is many people, or some people, they pray and God gives them special consolation, so they feel very inspired. And it's when they are very inspired that they make their, their spiritual uh, 
uh, duties for each day. They're very inspired, you see, when they want to do all these things. And they make a very, very heavy load. Well, sooner or later, God withdraws that consolation. Not as a punishment, just as a test of love, you see. That way the soul is not motivated by these consolations, but by love of God. And when these consolations are taken away, then the person realizes, oh, I'm doing too much. Or he says, I cannot do it anymore. Maybe God is mad at me. He's angry. I'm falling down in my spiritual life. I'm becoming negligent. I'm not doing everything I used to do. Oh, I, and he gives up. He despairs. He thinks it's too hard to become a saint. Well, of course it is like that, you see. That's why whenever you make your spiritual rule of life, have it approved by a priest, by your spiritual director. If you don't have a priest around, you can confide in a close friend who is tested in the spiritual life, an older person who has uh, had the practice of virtue, and get his advice or her advice. And so beginners, which probably each, of us, each one of us is, beginners in the spiritual life must be faithful to the prayer life without undertaking too many things, but without being negligent in the things that they should do. And so their prayer life should consist in certain essential things. For example, morning and night prayers. When you wake up in the morning, don't forget to, to say hello to God. In other words, don't forget to thank God for having given you another day in which to live. And when you go to bed at night, don't forget to thank God for helping you through another day. It was by His grace that you have not fallen into mortal sin or into other bad habits that you had. There are many people who never thank God for, having, for giving them each day. You never know when you're going to die. You may be on a flight to Dallas someday. You see. The plane's going to crash. Or on a train from Paris to England, and the train's going to crash. You're going to be killed. So thank God every day for the life you have. And always be ready to die. You never know when you will die. Those who prepare for death, of course, God will take them when they are ready, out of mercy, you see. Those who are always preparing, you know, trying to strive, striving for virtue, striving to stay in the state of grace, to grow in the love of God. God, in his mercy, will take them when, when they are ready, at least not in the, in the state of sin. But those who could care less about their spiritual life, who live from day to day in the state of mortal sin, those people better beware, because God would have every right to take them when they're not ready. This is why we pray in the litany of the saints. Spare us, O Lord, from a sudden and unprovided death. You notice how the church says, save us from a sudden and unprovided death. Because there are some people who die sudden deaths. But a sudden death in itself is not a sign that the person was bad. It's a sudden and unprovided death. Just because friends of yours may have died, Suddenly, it doesn't mean that they were bad. But only God knows if they, were provide, if they had a provided death, if they were in the state of grace. But normally you can tell if the person is leading, uh, trying to lead a good Christian life. You know. And so you have morning and night prayers, which you should not omit. If you just forget your prayers, you know, oh, I forgot my prayers this morning. Oh, there's no sin, okay. There's no sin unless you're culpable, you see. But if by negligence you lose the habit of prayer, you see, then there's going to be a sin. You know. 
But don't worry if you forget your prayers once in a while. Once in a while. It's not a, a sin in itself unless you realize that it's because of negligence on your part. If you keep putting it off, putting it off all day. Then you go to bed. Just fall asleep. The next morning, oh, I forgot my rosary last night. <laughs> well, so you shouldn't have put off your prayers. So, And then, the prayer life of each one of us should also be or also consists of a morning meditation, some type of meditation, which is private prayer with God, inside, silent prayer, lifting your mind to God, not reading out of a prayer book, but just talking to God, offering your day up to Him, asking for the grace you need. Also, if possible, we should try to go to Mass, even daily, to unite ourselves with Christ on Calvary. We shouldn't go to, mad, go to Mass out of habit, out of routine, then we will not profit. But it's very good to go to daily Mass if possible and to receive communion frequently, even daily. And then during the course of the day, we should make a habit of saying certain ejaculatory prayers to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I trust in Thee, my Jesus' mercy. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you. Save souls. Things like this. We should uh, make a habit of doing that once in a while during the course of the day. Not out loud, of course. You know, to yourself. To walk around saying it out loud, you, people think something's wrong with you. You know. Uh, and normally it's a sign of attracting attention to yourself. Inside, it's, this, it's oftentimes normally a sign of a certain pride. You want people to see you, that you're praying a lot, and that you're holy, you see. <laughs> well, see, when people see that, they know you're not holy. So, you You've given yourself away. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, it's good to have certain spiritual reading from time to time, every day if possible, a little bit, but from time to time in order to nourish your spiritual life. Nothing wrong with reading wholesome novels, you know, in, in different domains, you know, as long as they're wholesome. But you should also read things which are spiritual. See, there's nothing wrong with having sweets once in a while, but you must also have nourishment, you know. A balanced dinner. So don't just read novels which are for entertainment, but to read things which are for your spiritual life as well. Don't forget your daily rosary. We should always say our daily rosary. Our Lady of Fatima has requested that of us. Pray the rosary daily. Okay. She is our spiritual mother. And so we should listen to our mother and say the rosary. And when I mean, when I say, say the rosary, it it means to pray the rosary. Don't just say the words. Hail Mary, God of Okay, try to keep your mind on the mysteries. Okay, meditate on the mysteries. Try to put before your mind the mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries. Try to think right away of the passion of Christ. Put before your mind, uh, one at a time, the different events of the passion. And then say the rosary, thinking about it. That's why you have the five mysteries. You see, consider each mystery before you start to pray. And then what is very important is to make an examination of conscience frequently, if not nightly, every night, if possible. Even, even at lunchtime and at nighttime, that would, is even good. An examination of conscience. In other words, you say your night prayers, and then the last thing you do, you think about your faults during the course of the day, your, your main faults, and how you can correct them, ask for the grace of God to overcome them, and make the resolution to do so. And then make a little act of contrition, you know. That's good to do. That way, um, you are always humble, 
And then when you do go to confession, it's easy to make an examination of conscience. You've been doing it, you see, frequently during the week. You don't have to spend 15, 20 minutes to try to remember your sins. You see. And even then, don't, don't, don't try to consider every single little sin. You'll never overcome your faults if you do that. You should try to consider the main faults you have and work on those. It's very important, otherwise, because many of the little faults are connected to the bigger ones. And if you concentrate on your bigger faults, you talk about people, you see, or you, uh, you're judging other people, you think, those are th the things to work on, you see. And then by doing that, you see, you receive more grace to overcome your little faults. Remember, the goal of prayer, the reason why you pray, is to know and love God. The reason why you have devotions, different devotions, different prayers, is to love God, to become closer to God. Don't fall into the error of becoming too attached to your devotions. The saints say that by our devotions we must become attached to Christ. We must not become attached to our devotions. St. Teresa of Avila said, there are certain people who are more attached to, who are more devoted to their devotions than they are to Christ. You see. And we can do that. We, it's easy to fall into that habit if we become too external in our prayer life. Prayer life must be, first of all, in, internal, inside. Must be coming from in our heart, from our heart. And if we are too external, we become a little bit like, like Pharisees. We become too worried about the little, the letter of the law, the external things. And then it's hard for our spiritual life because we think that everything's a little sin. All these little external observances are, if we don't do it perfectly, that's a big sin, you see. No, always emphasize the love of God in your heart. I mean, it's not possible to pray perfectly. You're human. And so leave the rest to God, but love God. And, and the mercy of God will, will just not look at the little faults you have. So this is what prayer is in general. We have to pray if we want to know and love God and if we want to save our soul. I'd like to speak just a few moments then on mental prayer, on meditation. You know you have to pray. You have to say your prayers every day. Do you have to meditate every day? Will you go to hell if you don't meditate? Okay. Well, St. Alphonsus says, St. Alphonsus de Liguri says, Certain people have to meditate every day if they want to save their souls. And these people are priests and religious and other souls in life who could not stay out of sin otherwise. See, some souls need to meditate every day to be closer to God because they forget too quickly the love of God and they fall into sin. But for most people who live in the world, if they don't meditate, they can still go to heaven. Because in order to go to heaven, you have to adore, love, serve God, speak to God. And you can do that by vocal prayer. But really, I think especially today, mental prayer is very, very beneficial to each one of you. Very, very beneficial. I can't say really necessary, but St. Alphonse de Liguri says that by mental prayer, one secures his salvation. One can be almost assured of his salvation if he has a daily habit of, of mental prayer, of his meditation. And it's easy to, to see why. When you pray to God from your heart in a silent way, you become very close to God. And it's not possible to be very close to God and to live in a state of sin. It's not possible. So those who meditate properly, who truly meditate every day, cannot 
live in a state of sin. And if they do fall into sin, they cannot stay in that state for very long. They'll go to confession right away and renew sorrow and then strive better to stay in the state of grace. You see. So I would certainly encourage all of you to, to learn to meditate. So I'll just give a few, a few um, tips on, on meditation so that as a, a simple layperson you will know how to meditate. It's not difficult, really. It's not. Meditation, or should I say mental prayer, is divided into two types. You have either meditation or contemplation. The difference is this. Meditation is when you are making most of the effort. You take a, a book, let's say, and you consider a certain mystery of your faith. You consider perhaps the angels. You consider the virtue of, of obedience of Christ in the gospel. You consider one of the miracles Christ's work and what he tried to teach. Okay, And then you start to think about it. Think about what happened. And then you think uh, about how good God is and you make acts of the, of the will, acts of love. And you thank God and then you make resolutions. You, see. you are making the effort. Contemplation is when God, in a certain sense, is making more of the effort. It is God who presents to your understanding, to your will, certain truths. And he leads you, as it were, by the hand, through the truths. Giving you grace by which you understand things and by which you feel, in a certain sense, uh, special love and inspiration. This is more contemplation. When you're raptured, all of a sudden your face begins to glow, you know, and, all, and you're, you're in heaven, you're thinking about this, and then the next thing you realize it's, you know, an hour has passed. I don't know if many of you have gone through that. Um, most of us won't, you see. That's only reserved for, for great saints. You see. It doesn't mean, if you do happen to have that happen to you, it doesn't mean that you're really holier than anybody else. God is just choosing you for special privileges, you know. There are some people, perhaps even visionaries, who've had uh, special graces like this from God, and they afterwards think that they are holy. Oh, I'm chosen by God, I'm very holy now. And because of pride, they fall. You see. So it does not necessarily mean that you're any holier. Because God wants to bring you closer to Him. But if you think yourself better than others, and you see, God will reject you. You were not worthy of these special favors of God. So if God does grant you any special favor, any special inspiration, don't think yourself better than someone else. Because remember, you were not worthy of that grace in the first place. Accept it humbly and cooperate with the grace. In other words, show greater love to God in return. That's all. Don't walk around with your nose up in the air. And so in order to make a meditation, there are certain, there's a certain guideline to follow. The three main, there's a, a, three main divisions in mental prayer. You have a preparation, you prepare for your medita meditation, and then you actually perform your act of meditation, and then at the end, you conclude it by thanksgiving. And so, how do you prepare for meditation? Well, there are many ways to prepare. First of all, you should try to be at least, in a little bit, in a, in a certain sense, recollected during the course of the day. Don't always have your mind wandering on all the things of the world. It's not possible to, to sit in silence to think about God if you're always thinking about things of the world. You see, you have to discipline yourself, first of all, to be recollected, to be a man of recollection, a soul of recollection, of interior silence, to some degree, at least. Then, of course, be humble. Yeah, that's, that's a requisite for the grace of God. 
But then when you want to prepare for your meditation, there should be something you're going to think about. Before you go into chapel, you should have something on your mind that you want to think about, that you want to pray about. Don't just go into the chapel cold, as it were. Okay? There should be something in your mind that you want to think about. This is why it's good to have a little book, let's say, and to have a certain meditations outlined for you, and then every day look at the meditation for the next day to have an idea. It's like a priest when he gives a sermon next Sunday. He, you know, he should try to look at the gospel and the epistle of the Sunday uh, before Sunday comes, you know, beforehand, so, so that he could be thinking about it during the course of the week. Then he receives special uh, graces to uh, to add things to the sermon that will be appropriate. Okay, the same thing for a meditation during the course of the day, uh, or at least in the evening, or if at least, not in the evening, at least before you go make a meditation, try to reflect on what you want to meditate on. You see, that way, at least your mind is geared toward that, that thought, that consideration. It's actually very good, too, to look at the topic of your meditation the night before, before you go to bed. Don't fill your mind with worldly thoughts before you fall asleep, you know. Don't have the headphones on with your favorite rock star and fall asleep, you see. It's not very good. It's not very good for uh, or conducive to prayer in the morning. You wake up uh, tapping your feet, <laughs> probably. Okay. No. But you know what I mean. Uh, don't um, go to bed at night filling your mind with just useless things. You, know, you should go to bed after your night prayers or really reflecting upon God. That way there's something spiritual when you go to bed. And in the morning, try to think of what you, your meditation is going to be on when you wake up. Of course, I know it's not going to be easy. You try to think of what your meditation is going to be when you go to chapel. And then try to keep that on your mind. Okay. Then when you go to chapel, when you get into the chapel, you will kneel down and put yourself in the presence of God. You will not just go in there and just start thinking of your meditation. No. But remember, God is in there if, it's, if the Blessed Sacrament is there. God is there. So don't forget to adore God first. Make a nice, reverent genuflection. Don't exaggerate either. No, don't. You don't have to hit your head to the floor every time you genuflect. Make a simple genuflection. Don't rush through it. Don't bounce as if you're on a trampoline. Now make a genuflection into the chapel, okay, in your pew. And then you make the sign of the cross when, as you begin your prayer. And you adore God, okay? Good morning, O Lord, whatever you want to say. Okay, don't, don't be too, don't have too much pressure on you when you pray. Okay, it's God. Okay, yes, he's your God. Remember that. You're just a, cre you're just a creature. So don't think you're on an equal level with God. He's not buddy-buddies, you know. Okay. But still, you should not be um, overwhelmed by God because God is, is there to love you, to give you love, not to overpower you. And so adore God. Thank God for the graces you have received after that moment. And then ask for the grace of the Holy Ghost to pray well. And then, you know, take your piece of paper if you've written down your consideration. You know, you may ask, that's fine, especially for beginners or those whose minds wander a lot. It's good to have a little book. With a little meditation written out, or a piece of paper with it written out. Okay, your considerations. You want to think about this and this and this. Okay, that pertains to your intellect, your understanding. And then after that, you have to exercise your will. So then you have affections. Well, I'm going to do this better. Have I done that better? You see, affections. Thank God for this. And then thirdly, you know, as a conclusion, you will um, make the resolution to cooperate with the grace that God has given you in that meditation. And then you will re reflect upon your faults during the meditation and resolve to try to do a little better the next day. So that's basically what the meditation is. You have a little preparation. Then you have your considerations you want to think about. 
using your intellect and then your will by affections, acts of the will, acts of love of God, acts of sorrow for perhaps past negligence. See? And then as conclusion, the resolutions you want to make, resolve to do this better, not to do that anymore, and ask for the grace of God to be faithful to your resolution. It's not really hard, so don't make it harder than it is. So that basically is what meditation is. And I think it's very important, if you can, try to meditate. Try to practice meditation. The last few things here, I'd like to talk about certain of the difficulties in prayer. Certain of the difficulties that we experience when we pray. And basically they are distractions, dryness, and becoming too attached to consolations. Consolations. First of all, distractions. You know what a distraction is. Distraction is a person, place, or thing which takes your mind off prayer when you're trying to pray. Don't worry too much about distractions. If you're praying your rosary, then all of a sudden you realize your mind is thinking about something else. Don't get too worried about it. When you realize that you're distracted, simply bring your mind back to prayer, calmly but firmly. Ask God for forgiveness for any negligence that you may have had. Acknowledge that you are weak in your discipline of your, of your memory, of your imagination. And make an act of love of God and then continue. If you've said a rosary, let's say you're saying the first mystery, and pretty soon you realize you're at the ninth Hail Mary, oh, you don't, you're, you've been distracted. Don't recite, don't repeat the first nine Hail Marys. No, because it wasn't a willful distraction. Therefore, it was still a prayer. But at that moment, bring your mind back to prayer, your prayer, make an act of love of God, and pray with a little bit more fervor. And then you can continue. Do that every time you're distracted. But sometimes people are distracted because of their own fault. They're negligent in preparing for their prayers, or they do not fight the distraction right away, so they keep coming and coming and coming. So if you are distracted a lot with prayers all the time, see your spiritual director. Maybe there is some culpability on your part. But don't think you will be free from distractions. You will never be free from distractions because of original sin. We cannot control our imagination perfectly. So it's something you have to put up with. Just bring your mind back to prayer when you realize you've been distracted. But if you continue to be distracted when you know you're distracted, then it becomes voluntary. And then your will, which up to that moment was directed to God, will voluntarily be turned away from God. And therefore, what you say will no longer be directed to God and will be a, a mockery. You'll be praying to God with your lips and not with your heart. Then it's a sin. That's basically what distractions are. Don't worry too much about them. Just calmly and firmly resist them. Even if you're distracted throughout your whole prayer. As long as they weren't voluntary, your prayer was pleasing to God. Just be humble. The next difficulty in prayer is aridity, dryness in your prayer. In other words, you pray, you feel nothing. And normally... This happens after you've had certain moments of consolation. So might as well talk about consolation first. Consolation is certain sensible emotional feelings of happiness, of joy, of inspiration when you pray. There's, there are three sources, basically, of consolation. Three sources. Either God, who gives you these nice feelings in order to, to show you what beauty there is in a spiritual life, in order to take you away from the things of the world. But then later on, you see, God will take these away because he doesn't want you to become too attached to the consolation. He wants you to become attached to him, not to his consolations. Another source of consolations 
is our own nature, our own human nature. Some people are more emotional by nature. And so everything they do is very emotional. It's very natural. There's nothing supernatural in it. As long as it is ordered and controlled, it doesn't harm prayer. But if a person is led more by emotion than by love of God, you see, then there's a fault. So if you happen to be more emotional or more led more so by, by these type of things, work on that. You see, if you're led by that, then it's not supernatural. You're not as pleasing to God. And the third cause or source of consolations is the devil. The devil, you ask. The devil can be a source of consolation in this way. You see, the devil can act upon our emotions, upon our sensibilities, upon our imagination. And he can make you feel good when you pray. The devil can do this. He can make you see things that aren't there. He can make you think you're seeing the sacred heart. He can put that in your imagination. Oh, I just uh, our Lord appeared to me today and he told me that. Oh, you see, if, if our Lord ever appears to you, only tell your confessor, don't tell all your friends. You see, it's a sign of pride. And normally it's a sign that it wasn't God. You see, it was a sign, it was a devil, because he knew that you're proud and that you would be puffed up if you thought you saw Christ. You see. So, actually, don't pray for these special graces because it's easier to fall into pride. So the devil, he can act upon your emotion to make you feel really inspired when you're doing something, when you're saying something. And oftentimes the devil can put a thought in your mind, a thought of zeal, to do something really great, making you feel so inspired, bringing tears to your eyes, so it's wonderful to do this for God. And it's the devil. Because he knows if you do that, you will be neglecting something else which you're supposed to do. You see? Or whatever else. You may, or he may be leading you to pride. Oh, the devil's smart. He's, he appears as an angel of light. So always get permission if you're going to do anything special. You know. But if God is the is source of consolation, accept the consolation in humility. It's good. If God gives it to you, it's good. But, but give back to God what he is giving to you. If God, is, if God is giving you these special inspirational feelings, then give more to God. Don't just say, thank you, O Lord, and then don't do anything extra. No, he's asking you to do more for him, too. It's not a one-sided love, you know. It's mutual. So if God does more for you, do more for him. But because people become attached to these sensible feelings, these consolations, these inspirations, God has to take them away for a time in order that you pray and you go to Mass and whatever else because you love God, not because you're seeking these other things. And it is this, it is this which is called aridity. God takes them away. You don't feel this anymore. You don't feel your inspiration. Is God mad at you? No. God is testing your love. He's purifying you from self-love. He's making your love higher. And so, the principle to follow is continue to do the things you've always done. Perform your devotions as usual. Of course, make sure your devotions are approved first. Because some, sometimes aridity will happen because you're trying to do too much. But continue to do what you've always done with humility and perseverance. And God will give you consolation in due time. Don't, don't start dro dropping off certain devotions. Just do them regularly and motivate yourself out of love of God. And those prayers during, done, during, um, done during times of aridity are more pleasing to God than prayers which are motivated by this great inspiration. Because it takes more effort, and you're doing it more so out of love of God when you feel dry, you see. You're doing it because you love God. That's the only reason why you're doing it. So persevere and at least be consoled knowing that. You're meriting more. So these are the main 
difficulties, obstacles in the prayer life. And so I would suggest always have your prayer life approved by a priest or at least talk to a priest and make sure that everything's all right. You're not doing too much, not doing too little. And then if you have difficulty, we'll talk to a priest, you know, have, get, take counsel from your priest. But definitely be perseverant in your prayer life. Persevere in your prayer. Those who do not pray, as St. Alphonsus says, will be condemned. See, so pray and try to fit in sometimes a little bit of your, your meditation where you speak to God from your heart and you will grow very quickly in your spiritual life. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.